Hello everybody and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here and I'm joined by Don as usual. We have a very special episode for you today. We're going to be discussing evolution and the origins of humanity and some of the issues surrounding that. So we have two guests in addition to Don myself today. We have returning guest Mike. You also know him as Professor Pizzagate. He has some background in biological science that may be useful here. And we have a new guest, our friend Ach, and he has some background in linguistics that will be of interest when we're discussing especially the Quranic narrative around Adam. So this should be a fun one. I guess the first place to start here is to talk about what are the issues at play? What do people argue about? What What's the actual debate really about? Um, I know for myself, I am pretty disinterested in all of this. I don't really have any kind of knowledge when it comes to the science of it. So I don't have anything to really offer, contribute, or even I just barely understand the issues around that myself. And then when it comes to like the religious side of things, I just assume that whatever the truth is, it, it you know, it's not a, a real problem in terms of like my faith uh, that probably we just won't ever know the real answer and that uh, I'm just satisfied with that. But it is kind of an interesting thing how, um, you know, people get really up in arms about this and have really strong feelings about it. So that's something that maybe we can explore. Yeah. What do you guys think is, uh, is the big hubbub around evolution? It's, it's interesting to see that uh, it seems that both um, in the, in the popular kind of sphere as represented by, you know, online, uh, you know, Muslim Twitter or, or whatever you want, as well as um, in the in the scholarly domain, um, there's more and more discussion about the compatibility or lack thereof between Islamic theology and theories of, of evolution. And I'm, I'm not really sure what's driving that, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I don't know. Do you have a do you have an idea about like why is this heating up or like is it heating up? Uh, I mean, you know, basically, it's just that you know the most pleb understanding of things is that you know religion is making a certain truth claim, and you know, quote unquote, science is is going against that. You know, religion says one thing. You know, God created Adam, and that kind of flies in the face of the the popular understanding of human origins. And uh, people are struggling to to fit that into their worldview. So, right. Yeah, I, I think I think that's basically accurate. Uh, I think it's interesting how this has appeared in the Muslim context. I don't want to keep the discussion exclusively to the Muslim context, but I guess because three of the four of us are Muslim, that's going to be kind of a a major reference point for us. Sure, but. Um, yeah, I, I guess that is really the crux of the issue. It's that there is a, a certain understanding that we have from religion, and it's sort of held with a, with you know, with a, with a strong level of reverence, right? Like we we kind of hold it pretty closely. This idea of Adam and Eve, and we have a particular idea r- around how that actually occurred. You know, our basis for believing in that comes from scripture and from tradition and things like that, and science has different ideas around that obviously they don't use scripture for a basis of their understanding so when when they introduce certain ideas that might change that narrative a little bit even if we can find a way to make them cohere in some sense i think it's still uh 
you know, people have some resistance to that and, and, and don't really want that to, to happen. They don't really like the idea of, of, uh, these non-believing scientists kind of informing their, their faith, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it's also a culture war issue in the United States with, uh, you know, evangelical Christians and things. And that tends to then turn into a debate where, you know, it becomes a very, a rallying point for both sides. And then when that happens, there's sort of like an overflow of that around the world and like in different, uh, sectors and stuff as like, uh, people kind of take it on for their own purposes and stuff. So, um, so for just to, you know, we'll just quickly to, for the, the Catholic side, I think like, I, th I think, uh, Pope John Paul II said that evolution was more than a theory or something, which I, I guess not even technically true, but you know I mean, it's like, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, he, uh, I think that that was the, the church itself, like has kind of accepted a lot of that kind of thing. I think that as like part of it, I think is almost like as a branding kind of thing is like saying, look at us, we're forward thinking on at least a few things. And, uh, I do think that like, you know, in, in a lot of places, especially the United States, there is that sort of crossover of people who are, you know, white Catholics, but are technically kind of somehow integrated into the evangelical sort of political subculture kind of stuff, you know? So, and I think a lot of, a, a lot of places like across Latin America and stuff, I think there's that kind of overlap of like charismatic, you know? So I'm, I'm, it, it is still like, I think, a you know, a widespread view amongst a lot of people that like there's some complication at least to the straightforward mainstream uh, story, scientific story. So, yeah. I, I think that context is really important, right? I mean, like the, the American culture war is totally projected outwards into all kinds of other societies. Then you also have in the Muslim context, you have the colonial history of uh, evolution being used kind of as a bludgeon in the schooling system to sort of secularize people. And then, um, you know, within the kind of contemporary Muslim context, the reference that people have for kind of like, you know, other, other interpretations of the scientific evidence are normally like Christian intelligent design positions or, you know, something like Alvin Plantinga's uh, compatibilism um, something, something like that. So it, yeah, the, the Muslim kind of scene is completely inseparable from, from what's going on in, in the U S and with the, uh, Christian communities there for sure. Even overseas. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across, you know, the Harun Yahya's, uh, the sort oh, yeah. of the things the that he writes, the Turkish guy. Yeah. The Turkish guy. Like it's, it's very, I think he relies a lot upon like sources that are lifted from, you know, Judeo-Christian biblical uh, sort of narratives that aren't really central to Islam. Yeah. So just for listeners who may not be familiar, uh, Harun Yahya is a Turkish like preacher, I think. Like he's just sort of like a, he doesn't have any of, what's that? Yeah. Like God knows. <laughs> I don't know. If he, he's interesting. <laughs> he's a very interesting character. Right, yeah, he he's uh he's kind of a meme, I guess. People know him mainly from like his TV appearances, where he's like got these women that are heavily, like plastic surgeryed up and stuff, like like <laughs> okay, real yeah. bimbofied kind of <laughs> ladies. Now I know who he is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, but he's most known in Turkey itself for this like uh, 
this anti-evolution sort of stuff. He's published tons of books, and a lot of them are pushing that sort of idea. It's, it's very bizarre. It's something I don't quite understand. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just going back to the culture war issue, I, I think that that is important to keep in mind that, yeah, like a lot of these ideas are sort of borrowed from a certain kind of political, like culture war thing that we, you know, as we call it, and that that informs a lot of the affinity that you, you see between like when when people of a certain faith uh, go and adopt arguments from another faith, even though like you would think that they would need to kind of generate those from within their own kind of context. They just kind of kind of like transition those over. Uh, that's I, I think it's it, it has a lot to do with that culture war thing that has definitely like that's been imported into the Muslim community completely. Like you have the same sort of liberal conservative arguments going on in in the muslim community that you see with christians and all the arguments are basically all the same and so i imagine a lot of the concerns around evolution are the same you know you have the the kind of liberal side that is wants to promote the idea of like evolution and islam being compatible and it kind of comes as a package deal with all kinds of other ideas uh especially the idea of like sharia and things like that being adaptable to time and place which is true but like when it comes packaged under this sort of like liberal politics it means that you know very specific things like women imams no hijab you know even sometimes wine and pork being okay you know all this kind of stuff uh and then on the other side you have the conservatives who will I mean, I don't think the idea of like evolution conflicting with religion is so much the issue so much as they just want to oppose that other side. And so they will kind of adopt pretty hard line, like a a stance that like, no, you know, our traditional understanding is this. We have no reason to believe otherwise, you know, there will be kind of arguments that come up that it's like, oh, well, it says that Adam was created by God with his own hands and stuff like this. But there's nothing like definitive. You can kind of say either way that I've seen. So I I feel like a lot of it is coming from like a different sort of animus. It's not necessarily just like the issue of evolution in itself. And, you know, that's interesting for in its own right, I guess. Yeah, there's there's a very clear sense in which the uh, conflict that's being construed is disconnected from either the, you know, academic evolutionary theory discourse or kind of like even just the indigenous Muslim discourse. I mean, just to uh, give two examples, you know, I was uh, just reading some scholarly treatments of how different Muslim intellectuals have dealt with uh, evolution, and they pretty much all are take as as uh, their idea of what um, the theory of evolution is, like a very basic, very reductionist, kind of like 1950s selectionism. And they have not really caught up with any of the advances of molecular genetics. Um, you know, and then on the other side, you have ordinarily identified as like very, very uh, conservative figures like uh, Yusuf al-Qardawi, who um, has been in interviews kind of saying like, well, maybe evolution will prove itself out and prove to be true. And in that case, you know, we will find a explanation that's consistent with what's in the Quran because reality cannot contradict the Quran. And so I think, you know, there's this, this disconnect, which is, uh, comes out of almost like the shifting of the discursive terrain and people can't 
get they can't catch up right like they don't know where they are so they're kind of like fighting old battles and like fighting these old kind of um ideological uh arguments that really are not where most people who are thinking about this actually are anymore so one of the questions i had kind of thing is that as sort of someone that doesn't know a lot about this debate is uh when we're talking about evolution as a controversial sort of thing there's different components of it, right? Like, so yeah. uh, are we, are we talking about the period before, like we would say like Adam or something like that? Like, is it, is it, is it something like, uh, you know, the, you know, the cliche, like I didn't come from no monkey kind of thing. Like, is it like, is it, is it the period be- like of sort of like the descent of man or whatever? Or are we talking about also evolution as like a process within existing society and things like that like in terms of you know it's it's like the the sort of the evangelical model in the united states i think like the classic one is something like you know history might only be like six thousand years old or something and that like creation was sort of like an instantaneous thing that it wasn't like a sort of like you know well evolution over time yeah like so i i was just wondering like what the like what the components of the creationist story is that is that, i guess it's there's a diverse range of them, but I guess what's the sort of standard one on that? Yeah. I think that's, that's part of the problem, right? Is that there are many components. And so you can get into these debates about like, for instance, in the Muslim context is the garden in which Adam created, is it heavenly or is it earthly? And historically, you know, the majority of scholars held that it was heavenly, but there was a minority position that it was earthly. So you have people who are saying like, well, you know, maybe the earthly uh, garden could be the site at which, you know, evolution occurred or whatever. Um, you have people who are concerned about the the parentage of, of Adam, like Adam can't have, have parents, right? Like this is a, a big, big problem for people. Um, you have, and, and the responses to this, like really get into like kind of fine parsing, right? Like okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe the, um, you know, biological form of Adam preceded his, you know, ensoulment and his, like, special nature is actually immaterial, right? Like, it doesn't pertain to his body. So maybe there's Mm -hmm. no no problem there. Like, it's, I think it's difficult for people to deal with because these issues are fairly intricate and there are many different kinds of theological objections that you could raise to you know, like particularly the the kind of popularly understood evolutionary narratives. Right. So that's why that's why I think it's useful to kind of define the kind of categories that we're going to be talking about. So, Mike, do you mind sort of laying out what is the you know most up to date biological you know what does a biologist mean when he says evolution? Do you mind explaining that for us? <laughs> So I, I think this is part of the problem is that it's it's un- increasingly unclear that there is uh, a hegemony of the neo-Darwinian synthesis, which was like generally considered kind of like the orthodox interpretation of, of evolution, right? So this is more or less an Anglo-American kind of academic um, school, but it, it really kind of dominated. And that's, that's the idea that um, evolution is driven, you know, primarily by the action of natural selection on variation in genes. And so that that's really like 1950s, 1960s population genetic stuff. Increasingly, 
you know, I, I would say that most people are um, coming around to some form of mutationism, which implies that the, the driving force of evolution is not uh, selection per se, but it's actually the removing of constraints by the generation of new genetic material, for instance, by um, genome duplication or just gene duplication or other kinds of recombination errors and stuff like that. So there's a lot more emphasis now on the processes by which genetic uh, variability come up. There's a lot more emphasis now on different kinds of coding relations where before we had like a very, people thought that genes were really all that mattered, right? Like with the the classical Mm -hmm. genetic tradition. So I think things have gotten very, very complicated, and it's it's not always clear what people mean when they're talking about evolution. And it's, you know, I, I think the, the, the trouble is usually the way that it's presented, right? And it's people respond to the methodological naturalism of science, the fact that it's not making reference to any kind of supernatural entity, as implying that, like, no supernatural entity is required. And, like, that's that's particularly the case when... People are reading about kind of older classical genetic um, ideas about evolution where it's like the underlying source of variation is random mutation, right? And that kind of thing where people are saying, okay, randomness is saying there's no cause, no cause is required, therefore God's not required, he's excluded from the picture because of the, the use of this, this explanatory element. And I, I think it's it's more commonly the older stuff that trips people up, that people who are looking at maybe more recent um, uh, contributions in in evolution are are less less offended by them, because <laughs> I, I think there there definitely was kind of an effort to attach early kind of classical genetic theories to some kind of secularization project, right? So. Right. That was Dawkins' main like stances right I, I think something about how the evolutionary process kind of proves that there can be no god I, like I, I have a very pleb understanding of it i apologize but um no, i i think you're right i mean that's it's it's most clearly you know those two kinds of agendas are most clearly united in in a guy like dawkins for sure yeah. so do you mind um so let's let's take a step back um sure and, and you, you mentioned causes I know there's a there's sort of the Asheris are uh, you know there's various Islamic schools that you know have different ideas about you know when you say you know God's doing this or God did this or God created this right um, do you mind sort of explaining for the you know the audience that might not be familiar with it um, sort of Ashari when, when an Ashari for example or Maturidi um, says you know God's doing something you know their their sort of views on that do you mind explaining a little before we continue so i guess the the very simple summary is that asharis believe in the literal causal efficacy of god's action in every single component and moment of reality so you know they they say it's an occasionalist view um but the the easiest way to think of it is god is literally doing everything god is recreating at every moment the entire universe in subtly different configurations and there is you you know i think it's generally held like asheris are typically atomists so they have this you know conception of matter of of stuff 
but they don't ascribe any causal efficacy to stuff, right? Atoms themselves, it by on that view, cannot be causing anything. You know, the, the classic example that is, is given when explaining this is the idea that fire burns not because of the properties of fire, but because God kind of like arbitrarily decides in his wisdom to act in a habitual way such that the presence of, of fire is always conjoined with the presence of like combustion, right? So it's, it's a, an arbitrary kind of semiotic relationship. It's a sign that doesn't in and of itself form an effective causal locus. You know, I, I think maybe it might be exaggerated to the extent to which that was really like a widely held orthodoxy, but, it, you know, in general, like often um, critics of, of evolutionary theory, like Sheikh uh, Nur Keller, um, will make reference to Eshari theology in order to attack kind of like causal accounts of, of evolution and this kind of thing. Um, but, you know, like Ibn, Ibn Taymiyyah was reacting against that conception in in some of his work. And I, I think it's probably the case that, that it wasn't, you know, like really widely held necessarily among, you know, common people or whatever that like there were no causes aside from or no like it in some way, like nothing has effective causality except in this like really ab abstract sense, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that gets to the point of you don't need to like argue against evolution because of this theology. I mean, you, you know, if, if someone was claiming that any kind of scientific theory has some sort of causal sort of logic built into it generally, right? Like, you know, yeah. we have a theory that fire burns because of combustion or whatever. Like, you know, you're not going to argue against that. Like, well, actually, it's God. Like, that's that's not a real argument that you need to make. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that's that's why people tend to distinguish between methodological and metaphysical naturalism. Right. Like mm -hmm. methodological naturalism just means you don't mention God. Right. Like because it makes it inaccessible to other people who are practicing in your field who may not have the same metaphysical beliefs like that. You know, to me, that that's a little bit suspect because, you know, any scientific theory always implies a metaphysics. So you have to at least be conscious of it you know if you have metaphysical commitments um if you're a you know a monist if you're uh, if you have a belief in god then you know there are certain things that that probably are incompatible with that but you know from the point of view of ashari theology it is a little bit weird actually that people who take this up as a as a kind of um, traditionalist uh view find that it's incompatible with evolution because you know like why can't god just do evolution right like i so i don't know right i i use this one metaphor a lot in different ways and this is like a new way i get to apply this but mm -hmm. the idea is like people watching tv and talking about what's going on in the show that's on the tv and then someone comes in and says like what are you talking about there's no people there they're not talking it's just lights on a screen or whatever like, that's kind of a silly thing to say when you know that's not point like they're not actually confused about that it's just that they're discussing mm -hmm. something in a different kind of framework yeah and uh, you know i think i think we we have to be maybe a little bit imaginative with with this kind of stuff i mean we, we have to remember right that we have a metaphysics that accepts 
the miraculous creation of of Jesus, right, of Isa in in his mother without any father. So you know, I mean, w- weird stuff happens in biology all the time. By the way, I mean there are ways to uh, explain that in uh, genetically if you were so inclined, but you know, without descending into that, um, you know, if it, it's it's not all that hard to imagine evolutionary theory as kind or you know evolutionary processes whatever those may be whether you're a mutationist or something else um as providing kind of like a a causal background upon which the miraculous kind of creation of adam occurs by some mechanism that you don't need to specify in detail because it's not an article of faith you know like to me it, it seems like maybe compatibilism should be more attractive to people than it is. And I'm, I'm not sure I understand why it's not. But I suspect the yeah. culture war part of it has something to do with it. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Platinga earlier. Is that yeah. how you say his name? I, um, I, I'm not sure. Plan, Plantinga yeah. something. Or anyway, Al- Alvin Pl- Plantinga, Platinga. I th- he's Catholic or Protestant? Right? He's Protestant, I believe. He's a Protestant. Um yeah, he's pretty interesting. Um, I, I'm not super familiar with his work, but I've like, I think I watched a documentary and read an article or two or something. And he seems like an intelligent, sort of reasonable person looking at this kind of stuff. And um, I don't remember all the arguments specifically. I don't know if you think they are worth kind of hashing out here or not. He, he actually says that evolution implies that naturalism is wrong because it, you know, in it, by his view the naturalistic um, evolutionary kind of process that people point to as, you know, this like undirected, like random kind of search of, of like biological parameter space, that process cannot produce consciousness, which I think is probably true. Or at least like if, if it could produce a consciousness, there would be like very good reasons to doubt that that consciousness is capable of like reasoning logically or anything like that. Um, so yeah, that's he, interesting. he says that consciousness itself is like evidence that naturalism is wrong, right? The evolution of consciousness. Yeah. I've always found it kind of interesting to think about the, if you adopt the really like the kind of standard, maybe reductionist, maybe like somewhat ignorant or uninformed position of like the non-believing kind of like evolution science guy sort of thing it all sort of rests on like, Oh, well it's just random chance. Uh, but the, you know, the, the chance of things turning out the way that they have right now, such that there is life, that there is consciousness, that things are like holding together and not like collapsing into complete like disorder all the time. That just, I don't know. It, it seems like it's a, a pretty big, I don't want to do the cliche and say it takes a leap of faith to believe that, but it's uh it seems like a lot to just say like yeah it just happens to we just rolled the dice that way and that's how it played out and then like any other thing like we were talking about the possibility of like a miraculous birth of jesus that kind of thing that seems more likely given the circumstances than the likelihood of the initial premise around evolution just being you know random chance worked its way out this way you know so i don't know it's just kind of interesting to me the way that people are willing to kind of buy something if it just makes sense to them on some sort of level. And then they just go on with their lives. And I I think that's kind of where a lot of the culture war sort of thing plays into it, where it it gets to a point like, 
you know, Mike, you've been talking pretty good detail about all this sort of stuff that is probably over many people's heads. So it's definitely over my head a little bit. Um, and it gets to a point where it's like, this has no relevance to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It definitely has no relevance to like, you know, my, my afterlife or like, you know, moral judgment of my actions or anything like that. It's not to say that it's not interesting. I'm not trying to say that, but at a certain point it gets to like, well, these people are attacking my religion or they're attacking my culture or whatever. And, that, and that's what people respond to more so than like the intellectual debate, you know? Yeah, it's it's definitely not about the formal contents of evolutionary theory. It's right. definitely not because most of the people involved in it just have like very like a very basic, simplified understanding of the issues involved, and they're kind of just like <laughs> clubbing each other back and forth with these dummy sticks. Yeah, and the the people who are advancing this kind of like no, it's all random chance. It's all like proven by science. Blah 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 blah. I mean, that case is very weak, right? Like it's it's not hard to find recent good scholarly work that shows that the the you know basic underlying story that people always tell which is like okay evolution is just like happens because of cosmic rays coming in and randomly making tiny changes to dna and that's the background process that produces the variation and then you know like their environmental changes or like a population migrates to a new niche and then it, it forms a new species i mean that it's wrong it's it's like straight out wrong the stuff that they teach kids in in undergraduate um evolutionary theory classes is not correct you know and it's not it's it's not hard to prove that but like the people who are involved in the in the debates are they're not actually looking at, at what's what's being published about this stuff which is usually like pretty wild actually like really encourages you to to use your imagination and come up with alternative explanations more than you know kind of like rehashing this old like well is it is it random or is it you know like randomness doesn't mean anything it just doesn't mean anything it, it, it to for most people it means that thing has no cause which if you think about it for like more so than seconds <laughs> this is this is kind of a an, I, I mean, to me, it's th this is this is one of the telling things, right? Because like a lot of the people who are arguing about this are doctors and engineers who accept like the use of frequentist statistics, for instance, right? So they accept that there are aspects of reality that are in some way random, but you know they're not criticizing the methods that they use in their own professions. They're criticizing evolutionary theory. And, and not for, you know, necessarily um, the randomness aspects of it, right? Which are the really, like, offensive theological parts, right? Like, as a, as a Muslim, I, as far as I can figure, you cannot accept that there's anything, like, random that happens ever, right? Like, that God, like, doesn't know, that it's, like, not decided in advance. Like, I, I, that seems, like, way more anathema to me than, like, maybe you know, Adam's body was created in some weird biological way. Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, that, that seems seems worse. But. Yeah, that's all I've always, ever since I kind of have taken this turn towards religion, it, that has always been the thing that has just struck me as so amazing that people are, are willing to believe that, that like randomness means anything other than like we just aren't able to compute it. 
you know, like things look random until you are able to like figure out the pattern going on there. And then it's not random anymore. Just yeah. meant that it looked random to you because you weren't able to understand what was going on. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, this seems like a good time to bring in the idea that we wanted to discuss a little bit around like, so what what is the actual things that we do need to believe to kind of like call ourselves Muslim or believers? Um, and we can maybe do the same with you, Don. You can kind of, I don't know if you're familiar with this around like what, what the church says about this kind of stuff, but like what sure. are like the baseline articles of belief that you need to hold and how do they run into issues of evolution? Like, do they conflict? Are there like ways that they can conflict, but we can find ways that they can be reconciled? Like, like let's break that down a little bit. Right. So there's, you know, I mean, uh, and I apologize if I, if I'm incorrect ahead of time, I hope, you know, Muslims don't attack me too much, but um, you know, there's a couple categories of, of, you know, theology um, that the scholars, created for our you know for our benefit um and uh one of them is you know ilahiyat study of god um you know you have to believe god is one uh he's the most merciful you know you have to believe in his attributes um there's nubuwats which covers prophethood um you know that the prophet had a scripture was revealed to him you know things regarding all the prophets um but there's also a certain category that that i think a lot of evolution would fall under and it's called you know, sam'iyat, which means just purely revealed knowledge that, you know, we just have to kind of accept because it's never been heard or seen or anything like that. So, you know, heaven would fall under that, uh, hell, um, you know, that there's going to be a day of judgment, that there was a flood and, you know, just sort of things that are just unknowable through, except through means of revelation. Yeah, so there's like transmitted knowledge and revealed knowledge. Transmitted knowledge is the kind of anything that we can confirm. Transmitted knowledge is that which we know through revelation, essentially, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, when it comes to the category of samiyat, um, a lot of that you have to really apply the, you know, standard of theological non-committance, meaning that, you know, personally, I can't say anything about that. It's, it's unknowable. And if you cannot find it in scripture, you can't find it in hadith, uh, things of that nature. You you really just have to be quiet, and it's it's an obligation on every Muslim. So, for example, something like that would be, you know, what color are the wings of an angel, or what's this aspect of heaven, or you know, th- things that are just really outside of the total, like the natural day to day of of a human being that you have no way of ever seeing in your worldly life. Things in the future go under that. Um, and also things in the past. So like the creation of Adam in the Quran, there's only kind of not that many ayat about it, but you know, it says uh, one of the ayat, uh, ayat is in the method Isa in the law, Kamathil Adam, Halakhu min Turabin, Kun Fayakun, meaning that the likeness of Jesus is like that of Adam. He created him from dust and he said be and he was. Um, but other than that, you really just have to say, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how that creation was. Um, yeah. And you cannot say, as an article of faith, you can't say, you know, it was like this or it was like that. It's, it's, you, you can't say it as an article of faith, basically. 
Right. But that line is interesting. I think that's often brought up, you know, in these discussions because I think the point that is often taken, and, and I think this is like the traditional understanding of that verse, is that in saying that uh, Jesus is like Adam, the implication is that there there was no like human father, right? Like Adam was created from nothing and uh, or not from nothing, but Adam was created by God and, and Jesus likewise was kind of put on, on earth by God uh, with, without like the normal means of reproduction. But that's, that's not explicitly stated. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be interpreted that way. Uh, but, but I think people tend to kind of defend that traditional understanding of it because it's fairly reasonable and it fits with like a coherent narrative that's developed over centuries. Right, right. I mean, uh, and my point was only to point out that, you know, as an article of faith, meaning that like in order to be a Muslim, you, you have to believe these sort of things. Sure. But you have to believe you have to believe that it is true in some way, not in any particular way. No, no, no. no. Like what I meant was like, you know, you can't you can't tell if like just in the court, like the category of Samiyad, for example, you can't put like a Muslim on the stand and be like, well, you have to believe all angels wings are colored like rainbow. Otherwise, you're not a Muslim. You'd be like, well, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Right. Like that. that's not something that can uh, determine whether someone is, believes the Quran or not. Right. Right. See, you can't throw someone out of the religion for believing that Adam was created in like a Dragon Ball Z kind of like flash of sparks with all kinds of like swirls and a cool sound. <laughs> right. I mean, you just, you just wouldn't be like, it just wouldn't be a part of your faith, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's your own, like, you can have your own fan fiction, I guess. Uh, but you just need to understand that like, that's your own take and that other people have other takes that might be <laughs> backed up by a little bit more than like too much Saturday morning cartoons or something. And, uh, you know, just go from there. Um, so let's look at like the maybe the Christian perspective on this. Is, is there like a similar thing going on with like the church where they sort of have like a a basic like you need to believe these things and, and uh, you know especially when it pertains to things like Adam and stuff like that. Do you know, Don? Yeah, yeah. So there's I think maybe the difference here is that it sounds more more like uh, like from our conversations and stuff um, in Islam. There's like a set of it's 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 revealed truth. Like it has truth that is sort of modeling what you should be doing with your days kind of thing, like what how your life should go. And um, I think that the Christian narrative uh, focuses much more on, at least from from my perspective, like the the whole history, every sort of like instance like of that history kind of thing. Like the creed is uh, focuses on sort of like all the interrelationships between the different people, like uh, Jesus's place in history and like the whole arc of that kind of thing like of him being the new adam and uh like the points in between that i don't know like this is just a question i have in islam is uh jesus like a descendant of adam like uh is, oh, is that's he a like good a, question is, is, is like because in, in in uh um christianity jesus uh is a descendant of adam and also uh like of king david um like he's uh, but, he's like descended from the Jewish like uh, kings kind of thing. Yeah, through through Mary. I mean, I guess the, oh, the, yeah, the I, difference might be that like in Islam, typically like there's a lineage is kind of a patriarchal yeah. conception. Not always, though. 
Not always. There, there's yeah. plenty of of counterexamples to that that don't involve, you know, situations as like literally miraculous as mm-hmm. the case with Jesus and Mary. So it, it might be the case that you can trace his lineage through Mary. He is. I mean, if like Islamically, he, he like in the Quran, he's always called, you know, Jesus, son of Mary. Like over and over again, that's like his title. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, if he's, sure. if he's son of Mary, then he needs to be a descendant of Adam, like yeah. logically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's... Yeah. We solved it, guys. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and in uh, in the Christian story, like the 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 symmetry between Adam and Jesus is that Adam is sort of foundational in the fall of man, and then Jesus is the uh, sort of like restoration of the church and man through like atonement of jesus and stuff so like that's that that's kind of the way that that works and then so uh you kind of have to anyway so for so for evolution you kind of have to uh there's like a specific historical like anthropology i guess of why these things have to exist kind of thing that you have to stick with and a lot of christians did historically believe that that because of that couldn't believe in evolution because that suggested that these sort of linkages, you know, like the creation of Adam and that, and all these things meant that the, you know, Jesus eventually historically was like descended from an ape or something kind of thing. Like it just, it was offensive to say kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think that was, that was sort of the thinking around that kind of thing, I think for uh, a lot of people. And uh, so that's kind of the structure of the debate, I think um, in some ways, but for the, sort of like contemporary Catholic sort of thing. If it's more, much more like uh, these things like did happen, but it's much more interested in what it says about God, that those things happened kind of thing. Like it's not, or like what, how it was structures like history kind of thing um, instead of like the actual biological parts of it kind of thing, you know, like that's, that's much more up to science kind of thing. But the difference I would say is that like, the minimum of what it takes to become a Christian that also has kind of been put into um, jeopardy in a lot of ways where there's so many people that probably couldn't narrate the whole basic story too, right? They wouldn't know about a lot of these components of it, but yeah, there is that sort of overarching thing of uh, you have to believe stuff like Jesus is the son of God and, you know, divine and all these things. But, you know, it's the same basic thing of like the dividing line thing doesn't, doesn't work for, where people kind of say, well, because you couldn't have been descended from something, then that's the problem. So anyways, but yeah. That, that's interesting. Um, I, I think you could say there's similar things going on with the Muslim situation. I mean, correct me if you think I'm wrong, guys, but I, I think that's fairly similar. Uh, I, I do think it's funny that the idea of being offended at the idea that Adam and humanity in general kind of descended from apes of some kind when at least in the in the Quran it it is kind of constantly telling you that like you know you came from nothing you came from dust you, yeah. you know all this kind of stuff you you came from a clot of blood uh, you know you're made from clay all this kind of stuff like it, it's not that seems like a less dignified than than like a, sure. a living like somewhat intelligent animal you know so i don't know that's kind of interesting to think about well just to, just on that quite like on that point though is that i think that there's you know a lot of these things with the debate back and forth is that both sides believe that 
their arguments are contrived or something, right? Like they think that like the, the evolution kind of stuff, the traditional argument against it was more, you guys have just created this whole scientific pseudoscience around genetics and all that kind of stuff. That was kind of like the early sort of debates around this kind of thing. We're saying you guys have just made up this kind of stuff to disprove religion and mm-hmm. you know that's kind of your goal and then it's it's the same the other way where people think that like you know people always point this out with abortion in the united states they always say that like you know abortion as a belief uh as like a subculture political subculture it was true that for a long time you know the priests and you know the bishops and all that were against it in the catholic church uh outside of that it was like an issue kind of but it wasn't really until like say you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s, that it became a political issue in the way that it became like a movement kind of thing. Like, it was almost like a strange belief that some Catholics had that was just like a traditional belief that you weren't supposed to say, go to those kind of doctors or something like that. Like, it was like a shameful thing, maybe. Um, but it didn't have the, you know, so it, I think that like the key of this kind of debate or like especially for liberals is that they see the other side as being a invented controversy kind of thing right like it's not it's not this idea that like for thousands of years people thought that evolution was fake and then they invented scientific ways of proving it was real and now there's people that still don't believe it's fake i mean real because of ignorance or something like that kind of thing it's more that people didn't know what was going on at all maybe maybe they had some idea of descend and all that kind of stuff whatever back and forth but it wasn't really a grievance or a debate or whatever until uh once you know people basically conjured up the culture war i think so yeah um anyways i think in some ways it's almost like a battle between two like priestly castes of like scientists (laughs) versus clergy and it's uh it's more like you know you want your team to win kind of a thing more than it is like anything else yeah I think in in the Christian case, you kind of like by the time evolutionary theories start to come on the scene, um, and there were a whole bunch of them, and and you know Darwinian evolution is only one of them, and and it wasn't the orthodox one for you know at least um, a good chunk of that history. But um, you know the reason that Christianity was kind of uh, vulnerable to these theories, like theologically, was because you know particular Protestant denominations had basically like really concretized particular ideas about sacred history and about, you know, like the actual reality of heaven and hell and all of these kinds of things, right? Like it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it it, it was because of actual kind of um, almost like materialist heresy in theology that it became vulnerable to materialist accounts of the origin of life or of the appearance of biological diversity or whatever. Yeah, and I think that's a, a good point that I just wanted to briefly say about that. Um, I, I used to get kind of a grievance about this kind of stuff about like uh, when it came to Stalin and things like that, because uh, in the 1920s and 30s, uh, if you listen to, like if you were like, say, a general kind of left-wing person or something, and you heard on the news or whatever, them talking about genetic stuff, what they were talking about a lot of the time was just like, very very simplistic racial theories and things like yeah. that. Like right. it was there was there was probably like a lot of you know uh, I think Ak mentioned this earlier about like uh, you know the colonialism and things like that. Like the 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 issue around uh, like if you just heard this kind of thing, you would think 
Well, you know, that's just like bigot pseudoscience that people came up with. And, uh, you know, compared to, uh, so I think there is sort of like a sorting process that has to go through, you know, over the decades where uh, you can kind of then go, okay, well, maybe there's something to this in a different way or something. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, eugenics used to be part of that whole progressive package of ideas. The idea of like, well, we'll just breed out the bad traits, the undesirable traits and, and just yeah. keep the good ones because that will be better for everyone in the future. It, and it's now very that seems despicable. Yeah, it, it's very important to remember the um, origin of, uh, particular the the uh, the biometricians and the the early kind of selectionists were all eugenicists, and all their statistics were <laughs> it came right out of their programs of of eugenics. So yeah, that's that's definitely worth mentioning as a contextual element. And I do want to say though, I I don't think that any opposition to evolution in that period was necessarily some sort of anti-eugenics like it wasn't like they were no. like the woke anti-racist you know evolution disbelievers or something but it, it, it is just interesting to see like they're they're uh, it's not like it's a clean history on the other yeah. side well nope. and well to be like just on one little difference is that in the soviet union and a lot of like socialist parties and stuff uh genetics was considered uh fascist science a lot of the time okay and uh, at least at least uh okay it's hard because you know uh, i'm sure a lot of the actual scientists or like whatever uh had you know it was a diversity of views within the actual sort of like ground level science kind of people but that's where you got like people like lysenko who uh you know really really thought that like uh that the situation was much more complex and we've talked about this a little bit before where uh he had his theories about stuff like uh epigenetics like in different ways of you know thinking that different different theories about planting and things where um that people say contributed to failures of collectivization and stuff and but i always think it's funny that you know it, it is one of those things where it's uh you have to think about what he was seeing in the world scientific community at the same time right it's not like uh as mike kind of kind of said is that like one error compounds to create another error or something right in some ways where uh, you know, if you hear people saying, you know, oh, you passed down genetics and that's why Aryans are the supreme race or something, you know, it's <laughs> like, okay, well, yeah, maybe there's something wrong with that and we should go our own way or something. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like, I just wanted to like, you know, go on a different thing. So let's, so we've established that, okay, I, it's not an article of faith for me to believe creation or animals or anything believe like they came this way or that way. Either they came down on like a, strike of you know dragon ball z thunder or they evolved gradually like as a muslim it's not an article of faith and we also established that you know god is doing everything things like that so mike so what exactly is uh, as a muslims like as a biologist how would you say what is like the standard that you'd have to say you know x species is descended from another one like if i had a tiger today and, and some bones in the ground earlier what is the standard of 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 proof that you have to prove like, okay, this is descended from that. Um, so typically what would be done is, uh, hopefully if you can extract some DNA from your sample, you can build a phylogeny and then you would be able to say, um, on the basis of probably sequence identity or some other metric, how close that sample is to other like known cat species um, and that's that's normally how those kinds of relations are inferred. But 
Um, I think it's worth mentioning probably that it's often the molecular genetic evidence that's overlooked when we were talking about about evolution. Because sometimes the the sort of uh, view that gets advanced as like, you know, this should be the orthodox Muslim view is that the species were created separately and undergo no change, right? Like that they're created separately and they're just these kinds of continuous lineages and in stasis. Um, and, you know, that's very difficult to reconcile uh, with the, the basic underlying um, molecular genetic observation that the genetic code is effectively conserved in all life, right? So we have a, a very um, particular relationship between genetic codons and the amino acids that they code for that really there's very, very tiny variations in that code. Um, but for the most part, it's conserved across all life forms, right? And it's just, this is a, a completely arbitrary relationship between the codons and the amino acids. And we know that because there are adapter proteins um, that uh, are have, have an arbitrary physical relationship between the coding sequences on, you know, transfer RNAs um, and the amino acids. So it could be anything else. If there were independent, uh, you know, origins of descent for all of the different species, they could all have completely different genetic codes. They could all be using, you know, very different um, developmental genetic systems or whatever, right? But that's not what we see. What we see is this fundamental consistency and homology, deep homology, even if you look at development, across orders and orders of life. To me, that's that's like a profound proof of the unity of God and the the universality of existence, basically. But you know, I think it does it does raise that that issue of like, well, you know, are we all kind of gradually descended from some higher form, and like, what what is a human anyway, right? You know, what actually um, distinguishes us from uh, animals, if anything, and and you know, I mean, I think. Maybe that's that's also like a lot of what people are reacting to, right? Is these associations that we have, particularly in the Islamic tradition, right? We we say that like you know a human can be as good as an angel or as you know like vile and low as an animal, and so we don't want to you know associate ourselves with with descent from from creatures that you know don't have any control over themselves or whatever. But you know, Ach, I know you're you're interested both in in language and in, in primatology. So I kind of, I want to get your take on this. Um, you know, there's the, the theory that humans are differentiated from their, you know, presumed kind of like ape uh, ancestor by like fetalization and, you know, neoteny, right? So we have these, we have this period outside of the womb that's, you know, unlike most other mammals where we're still basically like a fetus and some people say that, you know, this is what actually gives rise to language is that we have this external fetal development um, where we're exposed to language and people talking to us all the time. And this is kind of the, the unique uh, feature of, of humans as opposed to their, their ancestors. And I thought that was kind of interesting because we talk in Islam all the time in the Islamic tradition about, you know, Adam being taught all the names. So... Do, do you want to talk about that at all? I mean, yeah, like conceptually, like I said, if I can 
believe, for example, God is doing everything right. Like when combustion is happening, it's, you know, God moving the, the things around, whether you take the, you know, Ibn Taymiyyah's view or the occasionalist view. But what I do have problem with is like, okay, that can be proven false by, I don't know, I mean, Neanderthals, could they have done that? Do we know? Like, is that even knowable at all? So, I mean, I don't know. Like, my, my kind of question is, if I can believe human origins are miraculous, like, why, why, why couldn't that fit in with sort of your take that it's, you know, we all have monkey ancestors, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I think maybe this is this is worth mentioning too because we we talked about uh, I think Tom mentioned kind of like the gradual development of humans or whatever, but I, I think maybe one of the more important uh, lessons of evolutionary developmental biology over the last little while is that you know big changes tend to happen relatively quickly often in in lineages you know so you can get like total rearrangements of body plans um, from fairly small mutations you know you can get very quick adaptive speciation in in fish that doesn't require much mutational changes you know a lot of people point to like one generation like there would be a whole genome duplication and a whole new species will appear as a result of that that genome duplication you know so i think there's there's also maybe room for thinking about this and moving beyond this kind of phyletic gradualist view and saying, you know, like what, I mean, when, when we talk about uh, miracles, right, like the miraculous creation of Adam in, a, in an Ashari context, what we actually mean is a departure from the habit of God, right? Like habit, uh, or God has a habit that um, he generates creatures in a particular way, and a miracle is like something that's unusual by the standard of that habit. And unusual things happen in biology, like you know, on geological time, pretty routinely. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of these things are compatible. Well, I, like, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, I believe is Dr. Jalajal. I might be pronouncing his name wrong, but um, his sort of take was he, 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 you know, he's, he's a biologist. He believes whatever that means in evolution. But his sort of take is that you know, the ayat that, you know, God created Adam has a, a void or apparent meaning. We can't take it to be, you know, a metaphor any more than believing that, you know, Jesus's birth was a miracle, like a metaphor or splitting of the Red Sea. Uh, it's just the departure from God's natural habit. So, I mean, w- why do you think that that wouldn't fit in, in your view? W- why do you think that the Adamic creation process is, is, is better explained by naturalistic means? I, I, I don't know that it is. I mean, I, I think you're right about a lot of these things where, like, you, you're talking about, like, how, how would we know, for instance, in uh, Neanderthals, whether or not they could have, um, like, this this neotenization process and, like, did they develop language and all this? I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think probably, like, you know, the things that, that Tom was saying about, you know, we're never going to figure this out. Like, yeah, there, there are probably epistemic constraints on us here that, that make it impossible to even say really like, cause I, I mean, for most people probably just like the, the simple explanation, the face value of the scripture actually is a better explanation because it's more related to like what they need to get out of that story. Um, mm. And the, like the details of like, well, how was his body generated? 
I mean, like, what what are the implications, right? Like, for for most people, there aren't any. I would say so. I don't know. I mean, maybe the the standard kind of like orthodox explanation is enough, and unless you're you know like professionally involved in generating evolutionary models, you don't need to deal with it. I mean, like in the Quranic narrative, the creation of Adam, as you said, you know, he's been taught the names. It's clearly miraculous, sort of like the splitting of the Red Sea, for example, right? I don't yeah. think I don't think a Muslim would be like, or I, I don't know. It just it just strikes me as weird. Like you would never be like, oh well. The Red Sea, there was like a, you know, gale force wind that came through and, you know, it's actually total. That. I've seen those kinds of explanations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it, it, like I said, I mean, if your basis is that, you know, there's this all powerful, you know, entity that can do anything he wills, is it, is it really necessary to, to provide 100% naturalistic like i don't right. know if you get what i'm saying it no, just, I, it just yeah, strikes yeah. me as yeah it just strikes me as is a little unnecessary it, it is unnecessary i think and and i mean you know people who are who are worried about evolutionary explanations should understand that the point of evolutionary explanations is to explain the appearance of biological diversity and biological complexity right it's not to talk about the origin of life it's not to talk about the origin of particular species, right? It's it's an explanation of the fact that there are uh, enormously complex organisms here when, you know, in the past there seem to have been more simple organisms. Um, and also that, you know, those organisms are highly diverse, but just in spite of that diversity, they, you know, through their development, reliably converge on particular body plans and so on like those that's that's the target of those explanations right and if you're not basically like if your questions are not about what cells are doing in development or something like that then yeah like i i don't think there is very much value to evolutionary explanations well that's what both sides are missing really like that neither side is really getting at that issue at all and they're kind of like jumping over that to argue about these secondary things. Right, right. Like, I think, like, a, a biologist would consider it totally ridiculous if you asked them, like, you know, oh, what was that one saber-toothed tiger doing? Like, what is the details of its life? You know, a yeah. hundred thousand years ago, they'd just be like, that's not really relevant. I can't say, I can't make any claims about that, right? Yeah, and and typically, you know, I mean, I I think the epistemic claims that are made in the literature are like way more modest than what's presented in, you know, kind of the, the popular scientific, you know, discourse, if you want to call it that. And they're a lot more tenuous and, and just accepting of the fact that, you know, the, the era when people considered like, okay, you know, evolution is proved beyond a doubt because Fisher did a whole bunch of statistical analyses, you know, in 1955 or whatever, like that's, that's over. And I, I think people clearly recognize, you know, particularly since the, the genetics revolution, we don't know as much as we think we do. And there are orders and orders of complexity above genetics that sometimes the causal arrow runs down, right? Like there are systems uh, organized on top of the, the genetic infrastructure that impinge 
like downwards causally onto onto genes. So it's not the case that we can explain everything in terms of evolution, because really, I mean, there's there's no formal evolutionary explanation for anything that doesn't refer to genes primarily, right? The, that's that's the level at which we're talking when we're talking about evolutionary explanations. So, it, like, if you're not talking, it's like it's like the Evo Psych stuff. Like, those guys are just like they're completely they have no idea what they're talking about right like you you cannot make evolutionary inferences in one species without any genetic information about like what specific genetic mechanism uh results in your in your phenotype of interest you can't do it you cannot make those inferences so like Mm -hmm. all of that stuff is just total nonsense right like if you're if you're not talking about something specific and genetic like just don't bother, right? Like just, what? Why do you care about this this theory? I guess you know. Yeah, well, I mean, it is true that females cannot read, right? Like that's so true, right? <laughs> Reportedly. <laughs> okay, all right. Just checking because you kind of shattering my worldview there. Um, <laughs> I wanted to uh, throw some scenarios at you guys and just see what you think. Uh, just given that we, I think we've kind of established that as long as you essentially hold to a, a some very basic guidelines around like this is the narrative that we've been taught and you can kind of fit evolution into that in whatever way makes sense to you um i want to throw some scenarios at you that i think are sort of like the common ideas like okay so if ev- evolution is true then how does adam fit into that so um one idea that i've seen batted around is the idea of adam either being some sort of like the, the first Neanderthal or whatever. I might even be using the, these terms wrong, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But the first Neanderthal that had some sort of like higher cognitive ability uh, that he, you know, either through, I mean, you can use a naturalistic explanation for this, or even it can just be like a miraculous thing, like God just imbued him with this ability that gave him uh, some sort of like higher consciousness that we can kind of recognize as like you know, like humanity as we understand it today. Uh, what are your takes on that? Does that seem to, I don't know, does, do, do, does anyone here believe that or does that kind of go against anyone's beliefs pretty hard or, or what? Uh, I mean, like if you just go back and look at the Quran, human beings are constantly referred to as Benny Adam, um, you know, mm-hmm. the children of Adam. Uh, that's, you know, that's who this is for. Uh, like, I mean, biologically, Mike, you can explain it like, a, like what exactly a species is. It's, it's different than the religious explanation for it. Like, it's, I think biology is just based off, like the biological species is totally different than like a specific, as Muslim believes, like one, like family of humanity. I don't, Mike, you can explain the, the species thing, but it's, it's totally different. So that's, that's super important. So you see that as like a, a conflict? Yeah, I mean, like we're okay. like when a Muslim is talking, he's talking about X amount of people all descended from you know this pair of people, which it's totally different than a than a biologist talking about breeding populations and things like that. Okay, so maybe that's not a conflict, though. So maybe you could say that the Muslim terminology for Benny Adam doesn't refer at all to any any kind of predecessors to Adam in any right. way. I- Right. I mean, it, it refers to, to, you know, all the people descended from Adam, whether that, whether he was, you know, super, 
different than what we would consider human today or things like that. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't make claims about that. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think that's right on. And, and it's really important to distinguish between biological species concepts, which are very vague um, and often difficult to parse and sometimes not much better than just your kind of like average, like Linnaean phylogeny. But, you know, I, I, I think it, it might be worth mentioning that that we have like also the the terms in the Quran like bashar and insan, which are used not quite interchangeably, you know. And those things are are different as well from Benny Adam, right? Like we're concerned about lineage when we're talking about Benny Adam, and then there are these kinds of other categories of just sort of like general appellations for. I don't know. I mean, like, I'm loath even to, to just say, like, hominids, although I guess <laughs> that's kind of what they are. But, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to try to map species onto any of those concepts, for sure. Okay. Um, the other idea, I guess, is the sort of classic, like, primordial ooze. Where would Adam fit into that narrative? Where can we put Adam if there's a primordial ooze where all life comes from and it evolves into some kind of definitely not human life form and eventually we get to some kind of something more closely resembling that like where where do we get to the point where we can say like okay well that's probably where adam comes from i think you need like you need all of the the biological infrastructure that's required for a human right like you need neurons to be well, you need to be in a lineage that has neurons, that has, you know, all of those kinds of things. So I I, I mean, I, I think that they're probably like the, the primordial ooze kind of story is, is around in, in various forms, but probably like some variant of that is is the explanation for why the genetic code is fixed, like throughout all species, that it only happened once and that the first kind of cells that successfully got set up were all descended from those so i i mean i would think that that's not incompatible with the idea that okay you know adam's biological material is like literally raised from the stinking muck um but his right mix mixing clay and water right that's like literally yeah <laughs> and <different>. yeah <laughs> i i mean it's it that seems to me to be like not you know not that far away from the plain sense of the scripture and then he's you know adam is breathed into right the roh is something separate from the the mock right it's not he's not just clay he's got this this breath of god in him you know and that's to, to me i mean that that seems like the miraculous part or or the the part that cannot ever receive a naturalistic explanation, right? Like the in the, in the Quran, it says, you know, like of, of the soul, you know, but a little, right? Like there are hard kind of epistemic limits on what we can say about like, how does ensoulment work? What is a soul? Where is it? Et cetera. We're not going to answer those questions. So. Right. And it, it's, it's the same thing is said about Jesus that like, that's his conception is through the, um, the ruh, the soul being like blown into Mary. Yeah. Right, and then there's the there's a narrative in the Quran where, um, you know, God take to, I believe He tells Jesus to you know take some clay, and put it in uh, the, the bird narrative. Um, I don't know the details, but essentially Jesus breathes into a bird, and through you know God's power, it comes to life. Right, 
I mean, like we don't we don't go around saying, well, okay, what about the birds that are descended from that magic bird that Isa came, you know, Jesus came up and you know ha- had that miracle? Like, is that not a bird? Like, is that not a, it? It just kind of seems very. Um, I don't know. It's just I think by focusing too much about scientific definitions of species, you lose a little bit in the process, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. This is just for fun. Let me just kind of clarify. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah, not, like, right. These are not like serious <laughs> <laughs> attempts at explaining things. I just thought, you know, kind of toss these out there and see what happens. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess those were the two that really came to mind. Um, does anyone have any like particular personal ideas that they want to share about like what they tend to believe about these things like with you know with with the again the caveat that like this isn't we're not saying that this is definitively true or anything like that but just like what what is your understanding you know if you have anything uh i just take the maximally skeptical thing and i I think it'd be better if we reframed from making sort of narratives um like one like one useful thing is uh, like i just I don't know. I think I think there's a lot of like narrativizing that goes around. Um, you know, you're told like like a monkey's your grandfather, I guess. And I don't know. Like, I just I don't think making claims about that sort of thing is is beneficial. Okay, that's fair. I, uh, yeah. Like I, I like I'm I'm a, a little bit literalist about the the, the atom part. Like I just kind of take that eye like as is. But I don't know. I think that's a good answer in and of itself. Sure. So, so you would kind of tend towards the more like traditional understanding of just like says God made Adam. So I'm, I'm that's yeah. Sounds like God made Adam. Right. 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 It seems kind of clear to me that like I, you know at least some people are disturbed by inquiring into this, right? And I mean, I I think it's it's worth remembering that the the claims that are often made for evolutionary theory are part of a social process of the establishment of a scientific orthodoxy. And that, that's constantly contested, right? Like things are a lot more uncertain than a lot of people would have you believe. And, you know, explanations for, you know, the appearance of, of biological diversity are getting really weird. Like in the literature, things are are, are pretty strange, right? You know, there was a, a paper published two years ago about African lake cichlids, which are some of the most diverse species on the planet. Like there's, there's one lake, uh, the Lake Malawi that has, uh, something like, yeah, it's eight, it's like a thousand different species of cichlids. And it's a, it's a, sorry, what is that? Is that a, is that like a bug? Oh, sorry. It's, um, it's a fish. It's a fish. So these are very closely related genetically fish but there there's like literally a thousand different reproductively isolated populations of them in one lake in africa so it's you know it's a big lake but there's there's a lot a lot of species the mutational rate in those species is lower than in humans so if Hmm. the conventional story about you know like okay the the mutational clock is what's kind of driving uh evolutionary innovation is true then that's that's not possible, right? So we, we have uh, a growing body of evidence that things are just way more complicated than, you know, sort of population genetics of the 20th century ever could even conceive, you know? And I, I think it's, it's way more interesting 
and inspires, I think, way more awe uh, of the the divine to to look at the evidence, right, and say like, what are what are people actually talking about? Because it's pretty weird. It's pretty crazy. It's worth looking at. Well, yep. that definitely uh, bolsters my my idea that Africans do tend to self segregate. You know. So. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I apologize if I didn't like make it clear earlier, but I, I would just, I think, sort of taking a maximally skeptical kind of approach to this kind of thing is, is very beneficial, I'd say. Like, for example, something much closer to, to, you know, our time, for example, like, if you take at face example, like Roman accounts of like history, right? Like Caesar crossed the Tiber. He went into Gaul. He had these battles at these times. Like that's kind of taken at face value, I guess, at least by the general population, right? Um, but what can we actually say based on the like the evidence that we have in terms of like materials and and, and you know cultural artifacts? You can only really say that well after X date in France, there's a lot more Roman materials, and like you you can't really make claims about the mm-hmm. life of caesar did he did he go did he really meet you know did he really have that civil war with with you know who and who did he really meet cleopatra like you can't you can't really make scientific claims about those sort of things so i mean we do have evidence like okay there's mon- like weird monkeys in the ground like everywhere in like ethiopia like you can't really like you know deny those whoa but, whoa whoa <laughs> yeah yeah i had to throw that in but uh you know there's there's you know there's lucy there's you know big the big jawed bastards that are just you know coming out of the ground in africa and <laughs> yeah. you know I, you can say like okay yeah that existed that's an animal but in terms of like what exactly happened you know x amount of years ago about adam i'm just taking the most skeptically you know like i i really don't know but i can have faith in scripture that, you know, X happened and the rest is just, I don't know. Yeah. I I guess that's kind of how I take it too. Like this stuff doesn't really pertain to a lot. Like it doesn't matter to me what actually happened. So I'm just willing to take, you know, I think uh, Imam Malik says, I I don't know what the Arabic is, but he he said something along the, the lines of like, we believe what it says, but we don't necessarily know what it means kind of a thing. Exactly. So, uh, mm-hmm. You know, if it says God made Adam, like, fine, what that actually means, sure, I'd be interested in finding out what that means. But, like, we don't, we just don't know exactly. We just don't have the actual, you know, evidence to say. So I, I'm willing, I'm open to whatever. Uh, I, I think that there, you know, just in thinking about it, I think it's easier for me to kind of just have that openness because I don't, you know, I wasn't brought up Muslim. I don't come from like a cultural background where we had specific ideas about this. Like my parents are, are very like non-religious and there was never any talk about this sort of thing. So for me, it's just sort of like, Oh, that's an interesting question and I have no investment in it, but I, I can see where people like have a different sort of, background with this stuff where it, it it feels more like an attack on on things and so i'm, I'm a little yeah. bit more sympathetic i think than um than people maybe tend to be when they when they kind of have this like what they believe to be like the scientific knowledge about stuff you know yeah well i mean for me most of my life i was like a diehard richard dawkins atheist kind of person so it was uh very much like 
you know, it, 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 it was, it was a, one of those like candidate theories for like why you would be stupid is, is if you believed like that evolution was fake or something like that, like all the daily show stuff about it and all that kind of thing, you know, like Simpsons and, or whatever, you know? And, um, yeah, now I, now it's kind of almost like, uh, it's like the, the fact of God being real is like so overwhelming over everything else that it's like, this stuff doesn't really, it's not, it, it, it's not like the, it doesn't end up being the central focal point of like, I feel like more confused about some of this stuff just because I, like I, as you know, as you guys were saying, like, you don't know the actual descent of Adam and all that kind of stuff, like how it might've happened or whatever, but you kind of just go, okay, well, you know, because you're kind of have that anchor point in that, you know, God is being real and like maybe scripture or something. Uh, the other stuff is almost like, well, I'm sure there's some reason, you know, it's like, I'm sure there's, yeah. there's I'm sure, like somehow it must work out or something. So, uh, and I think that's strange because, uh, it goes really against your experience. Um, if, you know, from me as being a non-believer for so long that it goes against your experience of being like, well, uh, if it doesn't make sense, it's like, you should spend all of your time making it make sense until you figure yeah. it out. And then, you know, and instead you're like, no, 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 it just doesn't, it's not the. It's not the pivot point of it, whatever. So it's like that. That's true. I think that's how a lot of people like that think. But it's I think they also apply this sort of thinking of like, well, it's got to work out somewhere down the line when it comes to like the origin of of just like existence and that kind of thing. They're just like, well, like, you know, it's just random chance at some point. I guess it just worked out that way. And it doesn't matter exactly how. But like we're here. So I guess that's it. Yeah. Uh, but like I don't know that has always like I was saying earlier that just has always struck me as really remarkably faithful in a sense you know mm-hmm. I, I guess I should say I like I sympathize with the the impulse to like you want to make all the lore consistent right you want to yeah. have like no conflicts with like your whole conception of the way that everything works um but you know at some point like you you do have to deal with the fact that like you're never going to complete the system right like you're never gonna have the whole picture um, yeah hum- and, humble yourself before god he's created this crazy world like <laughs> you yeah you and, and it is it crazy right like wild stuff happens all the time you know and i i think like kind of the the thing that that i would say about it as someone who's like professionally exposed to it is that if you are having like real problems with this you you know where it's like you cannot think of another an alternative explanation for the data that's like somewhat you know explanatory and fits with your theology there is probably a defect in your theology or your understanding of biology right like there there should be most good biologists can think of many uh explanations that are consistent with particular sets of data under particular, you know, fact generating paradigms. And if you if you can't do that and what you end up doing is like, you know, getting really anxious or like being really argumentative online or something like this, like it's it's not going well for you. You know, you need to go back to the basics and and have a perspective that, you know, all of this stuff kind of has a social context and it's it's not really about the truth a lot of the time, you know, and you don't have to get upset about it because you're not going to resolve it finally. Right. And the culture warriors just figure out what you actually care about and argue about that thing 
and and stop bringing in all this like silly kind of like facade to cover it like if you're concerned about some like the political dynamics just argue about that like you know they tend to do that anyway so just you know stay in your lane i guess is what i'm trying to say like that that stuff is just getting crazy where you can't you can't talk about anything because it somehow overlaps with culture war and then you end up like whatever you say you're somehow on one camp or the other that's that's really poisonous right and it it seems especially dangerous for you get really mad about you know cuties on netflix or something like that to the point where you're claiming like well god can't you know god can't do evolution because this this and that it's like you're you're kind of like like, (laughs) just really like like you're, you're you're like falling into like a bigger trap of like okay well now you're doing like sort of doing shit just because you want to win an argument you know mm. yeah yeah just as like a random thing that i just remembered was that uh they did make a movie about like the red sea being parted recently i guess like uh called exodus gods and kings which uh had christian bell in it and stuff and <laughs> it was uh directed by ridley scott so it's like you know like a big kind of epic movie and stuff i don't think it did well and um in it they have like the scene where i remember where they like part the Red Sea and stuff. I th- I'm I'm pretty sure that in the movie there's no supernatural element to that. Like it happens, <laughs> but it's not clear whether or not you know. It just looks like a big storm. Now it's an more enormous storm, so you could say maybe it's supernatural because it's big. But you know, it just the storm sweeps out all the water, and then they can walk across and whatever. So I thought that was funny because uh, you know it's just like it, Ridley Scott had to kind of put in the movie kind of thing. Like everything had to be. Like these stories might be true, but they might not be supernatural. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like, they they t- try to do that now. So it's like, yeah. you know, God is nature, or nature is God, sort of a thing. Yeah, uh, it sort of highlights like the anxiety that people have around this like science versus religion sort of debate, where they are trying to like elegantly like reconcile the two by having it be something that is awe inspiring in a way where it's like, if, if you were to see that you could see how someone would think it was God, even if it wasn't sort of a thing. And I don't know, I think it ends up just doing a disservice to both sides. Cause it's like that. It's not going to happen like in, in a normal circumstance. Like that's, that's just not, it has to either be a, a miracle or it didn't happen sort of a thing, you know, like that's almost the point of, of it being in the religion. Yeah. Like that's a miracle is exactly that. Like it's something that can't normally happen, but it, it did anyways. Uh, so it, it really misses the point of miracles entirely when you kind of like do this, like, well, maybe both can be true thing. Yeah. You know, I, it, I, I think there is something to be said for, you know, if, if what you want to do is argue online, there is something to be said for uh, attacking some of the, the metaphysical um, components that people rely on in evolutionary explanations, because I think a lot of them are unjustified. And particularly, randomness is, is one to go after. I mean, like, if you, if you want to, um, you know, strike a blow for traditional islam or something then probably what you should be going after is like frequentist statistics um and the copenhagen interpretation because those are the kinds of things that people rely on to kind of present this uh naturalistic view of causality where things just kind of happen spontaneously and there's no need for god right like if you there are good scientific alternatives 
to uh, those kinds of interpretations, you know, specifically like Bayesian statistics, as well as uh, Bohmian mechanics in the in the uh, quantum realm. And there's there's really no reason to accept the idea that you know, like random variables are actually instantiated in the world or anything like that. Um, and I, I think those are like way more productive kinds of uh, lines of debate than to attack some like vague conception of evolution or evolutionary theory because we're worried about the parentage of Adam. Like I, I think mm-hmm. that, that probably sure. won't go anywhere. So, but what would you say? I mean, it's, you know, obviously an issue that that's affected like a lot of, you know, people's faith. What would you say to, you know, a parent that's saying, you know, my kid is being taught this and, you know, it's really affecting him and I, I really don't know anything about it. Um, you know, they, they might not know statistics or quantum physics or anything like that. What would you, what would you suggest to somebody like that? Yeah. I like send your kid to me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Honestly, like for, for me, I, I think that this is one of the, the realms where biologists have really fallen down, you know, like the biologists in the, in the Muslim community um, is is sort of like aggressively exposing um, what's going on in in biological discourse because um, a lot of it is is not what people are arguing about and people are um, anxious about and it's definitely not what's being taught to kid in, kids in high school and stuff like this right because the people who are teaching evolutionary theory you know quote unquote to students in high school or whatever um, normally have not conducted any research themselves in it. There are people with a bachelor's degree who went and got a BED, and now they're saying, like, whatever the liberal orthodoxy is. And I think really the, the only solution to this, this problem, like, within the community uh, is to actually gird people with the intellectual resources they need. And I, I think that means, like, Muslim biologists need to step up and need to get involved in the, the theoretical discourse way more than they are right now. Would you say adopting... I know, I know a lot of early Christian and biblical studies and early Quranic studies, secular studies have been, you know, applying a really super skeptical approach to everything. Do you think that sort of thing would be very beneficial to questioning sort of the, the, the narratives that people just get fed? Yeah. I mean, I think we should, we should teach the history of these theories and kind of the social context and, you know, like the stuff that we were mentioning, for instance, about the, uh, eugenicists and, and those kinds of things. Like people need to know about that. Um, and they also need to know that, you know, like the, the scientific discourse is, is way more diverse than is normally presented and that the actual kind of formal contents of the theories are much more limited than, than anyone normally represents them, you know? So, um, yeah, I think, I think being skeptical and, and teaching, the material as it is um, in all its kind of like dirty uh, historical context um, can help a lot for sure. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> send them to Mike people. Yes. Send them to Mike and sign up for the, you can't win Patreon. So we'll, uh, we'll right. do some special education <laughs> episodes for the kids. <laughs> all right, guys, I think uh, this is a good place to wrap up here. We will skip questions for this week since I think, uh, you know, we we did a lot this episode, so we'll leave it here for now. Uh, thanks for coming on. It was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, thanks for finally coming on, Ak, and uh, it was uh, nice to talk to you again, Mike. Nice talking to you as well. Okay, guys. So if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like a second episode of You Can't Win Every Week, you can sign up for the Patreon and you'll get that. In addition to access to our Discord, where you can chat with us in our community. Uh, if you want to send us anonymous questions that we normally answer on our public episodes, you can do that by sending them to the Curious Cat anonymously. The, uh, the link for that is attached to the, uh, the Twitter account of the podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week.